Hi, friends. This is Fareen. Who else is here? Hi, this is Maya. And? Hi, um, this is Madison. And welcome back to the Wise Words Podcast. Something we didn't do last episode, and I really want to do this episode, is the Indigenous Acknowledgement. I want to do it moving forward as well, because we currently are recording in Ottawa, which is the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. The Algonquin people have lived on their land since time immemorial. We are grateful to have the opportunity to be present in this territory. I know I'm really guilty of not being aware of the Indigenous people in Canada. It's not until this semester that I really want to be more proactive in my involvement regarding that community. So just do your due diligence and do some research. There are plenty of resources out there and you can reach out to us if you need any help regarding that. We could definitely like have some recommendations of different um, like podcasts and stuff that we could suggest as well, maybe at the end. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So Matt. Hello. The focus of our episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we're very excited. Yeah. Um, when we were talking, I think it was this week. I, I can't keep track of the days anymore. You and me both. <laughs> so we were talking about like your ev- the evolution of your career, basically. And I wanted to talk about like your high school experience and how you got into STEM. Sure. I had a pretty non-traditional entrance into STEM, I guess, although it's all relative and I'm sure there's people out there that are even more non-traditional than me. Um, In high school, I actually went to an arts high school um, in Ottawa, if you're familiar. It was called Canterbury, um, where you had to do an audition before grade nine to get into the program. Anyway, I was there for music. I played the flute um, and I got up to the Royal Conservatory of Music grade eight for flute. Um, But about grade 11, I'd say, I realized that I did not want to do it as a career because I thought it wasn't as fun when I had to do it. Um, And I decided that I needed to look into other options. In high school, I took grade 12 chem and grade 12 bio because I really wanted to spare. That was the reasoning, honestly, that was it. And then in grade 12, when I was applying to programs, I was applying mainly to bio programs. I applied to a few genetics programs. And then my mom was like, hey, have you thought about engineering? And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't really know what engineering is. And she's like, I really think you should apply to engineering as a sidebar. My mom is not an engineer. She's a psychologist. Uh, (laughs) So I don't think she really knew what engineering was either. But she knew I like problem solving and puzzles. So I looked online and I realized that, oh, there's a program at the University of Guelph that uh, was called Biomedical Engineering, and it was the first year it was running as a standalone program. And guess what? I didn't need grade 12 physics, so I applied. (laughs) Um, And then I got in, and that's pretty much how I decided to go into engineering. It wasn't really a conscious decision. It was more of a, oh, I really like this because I tried it. 
Well, you mentioned that your mom didn't really know what engineering was. And I remember when you were talking this week earlier, uh, you mentioned that engineering isn't really defined in high school. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> okay, let me speak. I rephrase that. I'm old now. So when I was in high school, it wasn't very well defined. I realized this year that it was actually 10 years ago was when I graduated high school, which is terrifying within itself. But uh, so 10 years ago, high school did not really define what engineering was. I think I was also about the age where there wasn't that much programming in high school either, or at least in my high school, there wasn't very much programming experience. So I really didn't know what was going on. But I did know from doing some sort of outreach events that engineering was a lot of like problem solving. And to be fair, I think my mom had a better idea of what engineering was and knew that I would like it. So credit to mom. Thank you. I'm doing a PhD now. It's all you. <laughs> well, I think I, I left high school like five years ago or maybe four years ago, and it, it's the same. So it hasn't changed really. Maybe since the time I left high school, it has, but th- we didn't have like a programming course. We did have a computer course where we just learned how to touch type <laughs> and do some multimedia design and stuff like that. But there wasn't really anything in programming or software development or engineering. All of that stuff was done through extracurriculars, which not everybody can afford to do that, right? Yeah, no, that's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. I did not know what engineering was in high school. I think there was like a robotics club, but that was about it. Oh, really? <laughs> so <laughs> so in undergrad, you did a whole bunch of research because uh, you were part of the first cohort of biomedical engineering students. So there yeah. were some difficulties getting co-ops for you. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I did pretty well, all things considered. So Guelph just as some background, Guelph has had a program called biological engineering for a long time. I'm not going to put a number on it because I can't remember, but a very long time. One of the like sub programs within that was biomedical engineering. Um, and so they realized that a lot of the cohort of students would end up taking this biological engineering program, but exclusively work in biomedical engineering. So when I say it was a new cohort, it was because it was the first year they split that up. So my degree actually says biomedical engineering on it, as opposed to uh, biological engineering focusing in medicine or whatever it had been previously. So there was a little bit of background uh, in terms of co-op availability, because the cohorts before me had sort of done biomedical type things, but it was very uncommon. Um, So in order to do co-op, I had to get a bit creative. Well, I'll give the school credit. The school realized they accepted X number of biomed engineering co-op students and they had to create jobs for them because they did not exist in the first year of the program. (laughs) So in second year, I worked for a prof at school for four months um, in the summer. I was working with whole body vibration data uh, from from construction workers using like the uh, heavy cat machines and stuff like that. So the entire thing is vibrating, um, mm-hmm. which was interesting. But honestly, it was the summer I taught myself how to MATLAB program. The summer I taught myself how to program in MATLAB. <laughs> Um, so that was good. And then I went back to school for a bit. The Guelph had the co-op and career services and they had a job board. I applied to a bunch of the ones that were listed there. Um, and if you didn't know about Guelph, Guelph is um, tied to a, the veterinary school. 
So there's a lot of sort of animal research and work that's available. So I applied to this program at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, <clears throat> working in research, looking at bone calcification in um, a rat model. So that co-op was completely different from anything I'd ever done. It was a lot more hands-on. I was using um, a microtome and the bioquant software and analyzing like actual samples from uh, the model that we've edited genetically to see how, uh, I think it was vitamin D, how the effect of vitamin D was having on calcium formation in the bones. Again, that was quite a while ago, so probably need to read my own papers. Um, And that was really fun and interesting. And that was an eight-month term. And then my last co-op in undergrad uh, was the one where I realized, oh, I should probably put in a bit more effort in networking-wise, which is how I came across that one. I was at like a networking event and I mentioned to someone that I was in biomed and I was looking for a job for co-op. And they said to me, oh, you should have a look at Tom Chow, Dr. Tom Chow at Holland Blurview Kids Rehab Center. And he does a lot of research in brain-computer interfacing for people that are, well, specifically children that are non-communicative. So they use EEG, for example, um, to monitor brainwave patterns as a communication tool, which is really cool. So I did eight months there. The first four months I was working in brain-computer interfacing, and the second four months I was working in uh, fabric sensing, I guess you would call it. So I was working with capacitive thread to like create... Uh, resistive and capacitive sensors made out of fabric that could theoretically be embedded into clothing. So it was like two different polar opposite type of things, but it was oh, really cool. Yeah. That is cool. You mentioned Dr. Chow. Is that how you got into, because I, wait, hold on. Let me backtrack here. For your fourth <laughs> year project. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about that. Well, I guess fourth year project happened after Dr. Chow. Dr. Oh, Dr. really? Yeah. So fourth oh, year project okay. for us, like, Guelph happened after, like, in your last semester. So, you and your group of friends, you guys just came up with the idea on your own, right? It was yeah. offered through the faculty. Yeah. So, we, we had a coincidentally, the prof I worked for for my very first co uh, op, Professor Bob Downey at Guelph, he was into audio signal processing and he, I had like a good relationship with him throughout university. He was my reference on a bunch of stuff. And I um, ended up talking to him with my group about like this idea that we had that we wanted to see if we could implement. And he was like, it was right in his wheelhouse. And he was like, yeah, go for it. So he gave us a lot of instruction on like, in terms of like direction, but we just went for it. We had an idea and we were like, let's try it. Yeah, and your capstone project kind of goes back to your high school experience because you yeah. you did go to a arts high school, and you mentioned earlier you didn't really like the artistic aspect of music. You were more interested in the technical side. So is yeah. that how you got the idea for your capstone? I guess. I mean, I would say I liked the artistic side of music, but I didn't like being evaluated on the artistic side of music, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it became, I found that for me, at least when I was practicing, it became a chore because it was for this particular purpose, not because I liked it, but you're right. I was also very interested in how we interpret the world and how we hear things and how, uh, different sounds can make you, you know, jump or scared or whatever it may be, um, just as a modality of interpretation in the world. I always thought that was really interesting. I don't think we actually 
said what your capstone project was, which was adaptive acoustic separation. Do you want to elaborate on that? Like the work you did? Sure, sure. Uh, that project is really cool. So the idea was that we wanted to be able to build an algorithm that could adaptively separate uh, noise sources depending on their location. So like one, identify where the sound was coming from and two, separate it from the other sounds that were also present. So we set up a simulation that we would be able to assign the location of a sound with respect to a person in the middle. So if it was, you know, 45 degrees in front of you, about two meters away, um, and then the user could select a particular soundtrack. So we had a few music clips and there's in audio signal processing, there's like these common sound bites that are like the brown fox jumped over the log or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the the words are, but it's like, it's it, they're very common. And so we had those as sound bites and we had, I think some background noise, like just like a coffee sound, like coffee shop sound. So you could assign it up to, I think we programmed it so you could do it up to five different so- uh, sources at the same time. And then you would play it to the user via headphones. And obviously it sounds like a mess because you can't hear anything by itself. Although depending on what frequency the sounds are occurring at, some of them are easier to interpret as a human and than others. And then you would click separate and you would identify which sound source was of interest. And so effectively the program would take that one sound source of interest and separate it from the rest of them and then identify where it was coming from, which was really cool. And then we did do like a preliminary investigation using an anechoic chamber to record sounds from specific locations in real life and then applied our algorithms to it to make sure that it would work in semi-real life. And it did. But the simulation was a lot more exciting, I guess you would call it, during the presentation phase of the project because people could come by and like fiddle with it, which was cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. I guess that sort of like paved the way for your graduate research because a lot of your your publications are kind of focused on audio analysis and you mentioned Dr. Chow earlier and I think you mentioned earlier this week that um, that is you got into grad school through Dr. Chow I might be incorrect Um, I applied I applied but I I chose to go to Carleton I honestly can't remember if it ever got past the application process I might have told them that I wasn't interested what made you choose Carlton um it's a good question uh it was a it was a combination of things after undergrad I was not really sure what I wanted to do which I think is a very familiar feeling um I applied to a few options and Carlton had this new relatively new I would say program biomedical engineering grad school program I think it's called the OCI BME Ottawa Carlton Institute Thank you. Institute for Biomedical <laughs> Engineering. Love that you know that and I don't. Um, <laughs> I've been doing my research trying to see what I can do for grad school. There we go. There we go. Uh, yeah, so they have OCI BME, which was like, I don't want to say it's like a, a completely unique program, but it was kind of unique in the sense that it was multidisciplinary between multiple universities and you have access to both universities with respect to courses, libraries, like resources, everything which is kind of neat. Also, I grew up in Ottawa, so I didn't have to make any decisions about living in a specific location because I could just move back in with mom and dad for a couple of years. 
and I, I ended up getting a decent funding package as well at that point. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So what was the focus of your research in grad school? So it's, again, I did like a little sidetrack. <laughs> so my master's thesis, I was working with remote monitoring methods using pressure sensitive mats. So typically those mats would be placed between a mattress and a bed frame. Um, and I was looking at fluid dis- internal fluid distribution um, as a marker for deteriorating conditions like congestive heart failure. So in congestive heart failure, typically um, the kidneys don't filter out the blood very effectively, which means that you retain fluid. And so during the day when you're walking, you know, those like big swollen ankles, a lot of old people get, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. And so when someone's lying down, that fluid pools back into the rest of the body. And right now, uh, typically a marker for a, like needs to go to the hospital or to a physician is if you gain a certain amount of weight that's associated with that fluid. Um, so, but it's like a hard, like a, you stand on a scale. If you gain that amount of weight, it could okay. be fluid, but it could also just be like, I had a big breakfast today. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's a little uncertain, not to say it doesn't work. It totally works. So I wanted to look at a way to monitor it in able, in order to act more accurately identify that it was associated with the fluid as opposed to just other forms of weight. So my research mainly focused on, well, first I created an anthropomorphic human body model based on anthropomorphic measurements of like an older adult. I think it was a woman. Well, I made a woman and a man, but I think I used the woman um, Mm -hmm. for most of the experiments and then uh, placed uh, a human tissue model. uh, So it's like a fluid goop that uh, has the same density as like soft tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, Interrupt me if this is getting too technical. Um, anyway, it's really cool. It's really cool to listen to. Okay, cool. So just like cut it if it gets like weirdly technical. Anyway, uh, so I put the little fluid, uh, model on different areas of the like big anthropomorphic model to see if I could track these really small changes in weight with the pressure mat. So it was like a hundred grams. It was very 50, 50 grams, a hundred grams. Anyway. And in the end I was able to, which was really promising. And then that extended to people. So the first step test was people. And colloquially among my friends, when my thesis was called the uh, come watch Netflix for an hour for a permanent break, uh, because they would lie on the mattress for an hour, uh, (laughs) really, I I would ask them to drink as much water as they were comfortable, lie down, watch Netflix at about 45 minutes if or when they had to use the facilities, they would go to the facilities, come back and lie back down. And I was able to identify when the, the initial onset of lots of water in the belly, it kind of distributes and comes back to the bladder. They go to the facilities, they come back, and then the pressure changed again. So that oh. was my master's thesis. And that's also related to a disease called nocturia, which is when um, you get up all, multiple times over the course of the night to use the washroom. So like at least, I think it's two or three times over the course of the night. So you don't have it if you just go to the bathroom once at night, that's not nocturnal. Okay, I was concerned because I remember when I was like stalking you all over the internet, I learned about nocturia and I thought, oh, that happens to me. Not, not that frequently. No, 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 it's, it's frequent. It's like you get up multiple times. So that was your master's thesis and- Yes. What happened after? Uh, so after my master's, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But as you can tell, based on my like 
work history, I've been like unintentionally setting myself up for grad school and research, like in, yeah. in undergrad. And then in grad school, I'm continuing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I realized That's why I, I wanna... asked... No, go ahead. Oh, well, I realized I, I really liked research. So I wanted to do a PhD. I knew I wanted to do a PhD. Like I looked at some of the jobs that were available. Oh, yeah. I did that after undergrad too. Anyway, um, I looked at some of the jobs that were available after undergrad as well as after my master's. And after undergrad, I noticed that a lot of the jobs I wanted to do were more research focused in companies. And a lot of the time, the prerequisite was some kind of graduate degree, which is why I decided, which was another motivating factor for me to do my master's. And then after master's, because I got a better idea of the kind of job I would want, again, research based, um, a lot of the times especially in smaller companies, if you wanted to get into their R&D department, a lot of the time, if you don't have a PhD, it's harder to do. So again, Mm -hmm. I also just like research, but that was the motivating factor for me to do a PhD. So when I decided I wanted to do a PhD, I applied to Carleton because my supervisor was like, hey, um, I have this job that you, or this project that I used to work on called in audio signal processing. So he did a lot of work in echo cancellation and, and, um, uh, ambient room noise reduction with those um, conference speakers. Mm-hmm. He has like a big patent on the conference speakers. Um, and so he's done an audio before. So I was really interested in that. And he said, if you do your PhD here, you're to- we're totally like carte blanche, do what you want in audio. And I was like, oh, that's cool. At the same time, I also applied to another program. Um, and here... This is the stuff that I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Talk about it. But um, I applied to the University of Cambridge in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I got in. Oh. <laughs> um, but obviously, I went to Carleton. Uh, the University of Cambridge, well, one, international fees are crazy. Yeah. Like, irrespective of where you're going or where you're from, international fees are crazy. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get enough funding support for it to be worth it, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So I chose Carleton because I had a, a, a very good funding package that was thrown my way. Um, but it was a little disheartening because it was really exciting and <laughs> cool. But uh, all that being said, I have no regrets now because I actually really enjoy what I'm doing. And what do I enjoy doing? I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I guess that's yeah. the point. That's the point. This is your interview. That's how it goes. It's your time to shine, Mads. Oh, gosh. Um, and I don't think what you said earlier is bad. I think it's important that people recognize that what you desire is not what necessarily you'll get. And moving on, it might not be what you need as well. Like, just like you said, you don't regret staying at Carleton. You enjoy no. what you're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, like, given the circumstances that I had, I mean, if I was a millionaire and I, money wasn't an issue, it would have been amazing. <laughs> but I also <laughs> didn't want to go into debt for the amount of a mortgage to go to more school. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the problem with education. It's not really oh, yeah. accessible. Yes, it's very true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so what am I doing in grad school? Uh, so I'm working in audio signal processing specifically related to non-speech-related vo- human vocal sounds, which is a very complicated way of saying coughing, sneezing, snoring, restrictive breathing, all that kind of stuff. Again, the end goal is to work in a remote monitoring type of um, environment specifically for older adults so that they can stay home 
as they age without being hospitalized or whatever. So if you're monitoring someone's breathing and you notice there's an issue where their cough has gotten worse, you can flag it for a medical professional to go investigate um, instead of them having to go to the hospital every time they get a cough or they get a cold or something like that necessarily. And that's true across the board with all different kinds of sensing methods. In my lab, people are using all sorts of different sensors. Mine is just specifically audio. And you have like a hospital room set up to do all of that, right? Yes. Yes. We have a hospital room set up in like right in the room right across the hall from my office on campus. Uh, But we also have a, it's like a smart apartment that's set up at uh, Briere that we've used in the past, Briere Hospital in Ottawa, um, as well as uh, a new setup. I think they're building in the uh, new Arise building, but it's not finished yet. So we have lots of cool testing areas in the lab, which is really neat. And then a weird silver lining to the whole COVID pandemic was that I was already doing research in coughs and guess what? One of the very first symptoms of COVID-19 is coughs. Uh, So I uh, was able to very quickly jump on that and put, I put together a database of COVID coughs from public media interviews. And that was published a couple months ago, Um, which has been really cool because it's, Research you can get in this weird rabbit hole of like, I'm doing this research, but what is it ever going to do for anybody? Like, what is the point of everything in my life? I don't know. Um, I'm sure you do that in undergrad too. I'm sure I did that in undergrad. Yeah. But anyway, I it's like the rabbit hole of like uncertainty, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of neat to be able to see that, oh, there's actually like a more current application that this could potentially be helpful for. Do I think that my research as a standalone is going to be able to solve the world's problems? Absolutely not. But I think that maybe my research might help get to a point where we can have a solution or have uh, something that's helpful to the broader uh, broader community. Yeah, that's the point of science and engineering. I think it's very incremental. Innovation doesn't just happen overnight. No, no, no. <laughs> so everybody contributes their part and we put all the puzzle pieces together and form mm-hmm. a solution. But yeah, it's really like serendipitous how the evolution of your research applied to something so current and important. Yeah, I honestly, I think as much as hard work and being committed and all that stuff is important, I think there is a component of luck that's involved with progression of careers and education. But I will caveat that with it's luck for being presented with opportunities but drive to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. And notice that that's an opportunity that you can do something with. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very yeah. true. Well, we talked about your research. So we talked about your, your school and your studies, but what about extracurriculars and community involvement? What do you do outside of Carleton? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I've done a few different things outside of Carleton, um, obviously. I'm a part of WISE, or maybe it's not obvious. Um, I'm the VP of WISE right now, or vice chair. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So for extracurriculars right now, I'm the vice chair of WISE at Carleton, the student branch here. Um, So I'm involved a lot with uh, the sort of overarching events and planning, and I have all the swag which is very exciting. I still need to go through that for you, Farine. But I got it. Uh, I might need that. Yeah, we can make that happen. 
so with Wise, it's kind of, I really enjoy it because it, it reminds me in a way because I get to communicate and talk to people from like all the way from first year, all the way up to fourth year, as well as other grad students. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives me a reminder of why I like school and research without, because sometimes you end up looking at it on your own little narrow vision path. And then you talk to someone in undergrad who's like so excited for engineering and you're like, oh yeah, I was really excited about engineering at one point. <laughs> so I, I really do enjoy these kind of conversations because it reminds me like, I don't think I, the last time I went through my whole like career path, like since high school, I don't know when it was like, it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think extracurriculars from that perspective is really important. I also think giving back is important. If you're in the position to be able to support other people in their career path, I think that's important. And I try to do that. So in order, in being involved in WISE and stuff, I hope that I, I'm an approachable person to ask questions. Uh, oh, uh, yes, you are. Hell yeah. <laughs> you're like uh, the most approachable. <laughs> good. That's that's a goal of mine. Um I guess that that kind of steers into some of the things I've noticed with extracurriculars, uh, either at Carl, well, most at Carlton or just in general at school or in, sorry, high school um, or in undergrad, is that I find sometimes extracurriculars can be kind of clicky. So if you're not in the in crowd, it can be hard to get yourself, push yourself past it, not because the in crowd is necessarily trying to exclude people from their club, but it can feel like it's very hard to sort of breach that inner circle, um, which is why I'm so, I try to be involved in a lot of different things and try to make myself as approachable as possible. Um, I'm also the treasurer for the Engineering and Medicine and Biology Society at Carleton, uh, which is a student club uh, associated with engineering and medicine and biology Society, which is a larger overreaching uh, society that does a conference every year. And we've been very successful. We've hosted a few distinguished lecturers and we've won, a, won the best student chapter a few years running now, which is very exciting. And that club's a little bit more, te- it's a more technical, for, at least from my uh, contributions. So we you know, run different topics, uh, like research topics, research talks, that kind of stuff. And you know, typically for my own research, I go to conferences and then uh, while we're at those conferences, you meet a lot of people and there's networking and, you know, you're known as like the representative for that club, which is really neat. So those are the two main things I, I do, but uh, I've also worked, I think it was for about a year. I was volunteering for the Let's Talk Science program here in Ottawa. So we went to different elementary and high schools and presented science topics, which was kind of neat. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, I thought it was a good program. I I think there's less opportunity in that program, at least in my experience, to do high school science. We ended up doing a lot more like uh, elementary school science, but it was cool. It was interesting to go back to like elementary schools and be like, oh, wow, I was here at one point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was really cool. And then on a sort of a side, another side is I was for two years, I was the TA mentor, so at for the systems and computer engineering department, for which I'm not anymore, um, but we uh, put together teaching resources and support for TAs at Carleton in order to help them teach more effectively. And TAs are in a weird spot, sort of like between the students and the profs. So we were yeah. trying to sort of give them a little bit more resources uh, external to yeah. the prof that they're TAing. 
So I was working on that, which actually led to a cool part-time gig that I'm doing right now, <laughs> um, where I'm working for the yeah I'm working for the Education Development Center at Carleton again supporting TAs. So we've created uh, resources for TAs and training videos and all that kind of stuff. Definitely odd in COVID times when everything is online, but it you know it's cool. <laughs> um, That's yeah. really cool. Well, the one thing I really want you to elaborate on is like the clicky mentality when it comes to like clubs and societies on campus. Because I really feel like I felt that, especially during my first and second year. And I kind of did touch upon that during the last episode. Part of human nature is to be on the in or to be on the out, right? It's I belong. And the qualifications for belonging varies a lot. I am not a social scientist. So don't know what it's called, but I know it's a thing. Um, <laughs> I think so that that phenomenon that happens can be very intimidating when it comes to trying to put yourself out there, especially for people that are introverts or not very confident in putting themselves out there. And I can speak from personal experience in my undergrad that a few of the clubs, I was like, whoa, this is a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, they're some people are very passionate about it and that's very exciting, but it can be very intimidating at the same time when someone's like really exuberant and excited and join this and do this. We have all these activities and you're like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> and so I think it's important to create communities that target, no, maybe not target, create communities that can be of interest to people that are at different comfort levels. So like for instance, with WISE, I think we've put a lot of effort in, and when I say we, I mean you guys, because I don't do as much as you, I recognize that. Um, but- You uh, do, you do, uh, back, behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, we put a lot of effort into creating sort of a communal Slack general forum where people can type out things, you know, th throw up a picture of themselves or their pet and like very low effort, uh, community-wise. We've also put in some effort to be more available on social media, which means that we might will be reaching a different group of people. Uh, prior prior to that, our social media present was, presence was not as strong and we relied a lot more on like campus-wide circulation. I think the fact that you guys are making this podcast is incredible. Like it's such, such a cool idea. And I think it's an opportunity to talk about a lot of the things that a lot of people are concerned about without necessarily having someone be forced into a conversation they don't necessarily want to partake in, but might be interested in the outcome. And so I think that's amazing. I forgot the question. Yeah, I think what, with what you're saying, it's, it's really true for WISE because like, I feel like even our Halloween event that we had last year, we got so many like just sort of a wide assortment of different people that just showed up and it was such a fun event because it was just like there wasn't even really anything common amongst like all the people there it was just like a random assortment of people that wanted to have fun on Halloween and we were like oh this is yeah. a great event like we had lots of fun and it just sort of the different people that saw the event there that showed up it was just sort of open to literally everybody. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about the Halloween Spooks Fest we had last year? Yeah. I put it up on Reddit. I invited uh, on the Carlton News subreddit. I put a post and said, hey, we're doing this. Just drop by if you want to come. And somebody commented saying, hey, I'm not in science or engineering and I'm not a 
and I'm a dude, can I still come? And I said, of course you can. Yeah. Just because yeah. we're women, just because this is a uh, an event for women doesn't mean that we're excluding men. No. The, the, yeah. That's something that, like, yeah. Any, like Donatella, our editor, she's a law student. And yeah. Yeah. I I met fault for this because when she first um, she DM'd us on Instagram and I did put I did the mistake of saying this is a science and engineering group, but she still went forward and applied and Alicia was like, yeah, come along, be our editor. That's and awesome. after after she was hired, I immediately said, I am so sorry, I should not have done that. I'm going to be a better person from now on. And she said, it's totally fine. And yeah, like. I feel like when you want to really be diverse and inclusive, you need to put in an effort to include everybody because what WISE is, it's it's more of like a cause for the minority in STEM, which, which are women, but other but people other need to people. be aware of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I yeah. Think and it's like also- if... Go for it, Maya. Sorry. I was going to say like there might be people who didn't go into STEM because of that sort of disparity so then like those people are still included into the group right like the whole point is that there aren't enough women in STEM so then if you're like excluding women that aren't in STEM that's not going to help mm-hmm. yeah I yeah. think it's also important you made an interesting note there uh, Farine, where you were like you went and immediately apologized for sort of creating that the message that you sent that this is a STEM, yeah. STEM society I think it's really important to recognize when you do things that uh, you didn't necessarily realize were exclusive, like exclusive. Uh, you like when you make it like a mental note to recognize when you do something that wasn't necessarily um, inclusive in the way that we want our club to be, and take the opportunity to put yourself out there and say, you know what, hey, thank you so much for your feedback. We're going to try to shift our focus a bit because change doesn't happen um, if people aren't willing to hear what they're doing like hear responses back from people. Like you can't do anything if you don't know what's happening. And then if you're immediately defensive about it, it uh, doesn't really create a community of inclusivity within itself because then no one wants to tell you anything. Yeah. Curiosity is key as well as being humble. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. It is. To be humble. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that, well, one of the bonuses of getting into research is you get to go to like a lot of conferences and you've traveled. Where yes. have you been? <laughs> yes. Yes. If anybody ever asks me, why do you do research under normal circumstances when it's like front of mind, my very first answer is for traveling. Again, this varies depending on supervisors and funding and your own personal resources. And I recognize that I've just been incredibly lucky. Um, in my master's, I got to go to a conference in Italy a conference in Taiwan, a conference in Florida, a conference in Vancouver. And then in my PhD thus far, I've gone back to Italy, to Berlin. I think I'm forgetting one. Those are very cool. Let's just let's just go with Italy and Berlin for now. I think that's it. Um, well, you've and- been to more places than I have, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. And the best part too is at least for my supervisors and so amazing. He's if I'm like, "Hey, I'm on this conference. I'd like to extend it a week." He's like, "Okay, cool. Go." Like, <laughs> go do you. And so then, you know, I go backpacking for a little bit, which is fun. Um, well, you should enjoy yourself while you're at it. You yeah. Know? No, absolutely. Not all about work. Yeah. Yeah. 
Maya, that's what you can look forward to in grad school. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. awesome. It's really fun. It's really <laughs> fun. Yeah. Oh, I guess other extracurriculars that are, like, less, like, organized, I guess, like, things that I enjoy doing that mm-hmm. isn't just school. I'm into yoga. I've been doing yoga for probably since my master's started, honestly. Obviously, my yoga studio is now my living room. Um, as opposed to the actual studio, but it's cool. The studio I go to does live sessions, which I find very helpful. So you tune in to a, a course, a class that's happening live. So I still get a little bit of that accountability, which is nice. Um, I've started you like to game. I do. I do. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. All those PC gamers out there. Don't judge me. Um, generally speaking, I game on a PlayStation. I have a PlayStation. We could game online (laughs) we should do that but which ones do you like to play that's a good question so you know how everybody has that like first video game that like got them hooked Mm -hmm. so my first video game that got me hooked was the spyro games as a kid so it's the little purple dragon i'm showing my age anyway they remastered it recently oh and so i've been like 100 percenting it all the way through spyro yeah, it's a little purple dragon. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, so that was like my go-to. I'm really excited about the Cyberpunk 2077 game that's coming out. Oh my god. I have another friend who keeps like bugging me about that. He's like, I can't wait, I can't wait. And now I'm hooked on that as well. I know. I'm, I've, I. It was supposed to come out in April originally. Yeah, well, it was supposed to come and out like was, five years ago or something. Yeah, it's... Anyway, I'm very excited. I really want to play that one. I tend to go through like these like waves of what particular activity is my like uh wind down activity and so sometimes it's video games sometimes it's watching tv shows sometimes it's um reading uh so like it varies a lot and right now i haven't been playing that much video games mainly because work has ramped up a lot but when cyberpunk 2077 comes out i'm probably gonna spend like at least a couple days like (laughs) <laughs> just just because i think i haven't had a game that i bought recently that's um that like i really want to get into it's more of like a oh i'll play for like an hour here or there um mm-hmm. so i'm not like stuck on one right now i do also have a switch but those are like you know mario kart when your friends come over kind of games and like oh yeah. although i did buy animal crossing when covid started it was a great quarantine game (laughs) just as a sidebar it was very relaxing I still have it but you know what I made the mistake of doing yeah right before the semester started I I caved and I said to myself let's just do it and I bought Elder Scrolls online oh yeah (laughs) yeah as soon as the semester started I haven't touched it and I really regret not touching it because it's so enjoyable yeah yeah, but I don't I have, have the time. I have Skyrim. I don't have the on, uh, Elder Scrolls Online. I have purposefully not purchased that one. I know I caved because I wanted to experience the other provinces in Tamriel yeah. instead of just Skyrim. Just like the one. Yeah. So here we are. Yep. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> well, one so, thing that stuck out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Maya. Sorry. I thought of a question. Okay. Um, with COVID, did you have to go out of the lab for a while or were you able to stay in the lab? How did that affect your research? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am incredibly lucky that my research is mainly 
working with like pre-recorded things. And honestly, a lot of the data that I could theoretically play with, I don't know, my cat just jumped. So if there was a weird sound, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> all right. So the data that I work with is typically pre-recorded. And what are you doing? Again, my cat. Uh, the data I work with is typically pre-recorded. So it means that I don't actually have to be in the lab. Could my recordings be better if I was in the lab using all the fancy equipment? Yes. But there's actually a weird benefit to having to record things on my phone or my computer is that um, typically those are the kind of speakers and microphones that are available to like the general population and be, would be what we would want to sort of use in a long-term outcome measure. So for me, my research hasn't changed that much. I can VPN to my desktop and at school if I need to and pretty much do anything that I would need to do here. I recognize I'm very lucky though because my research is mostly algorithmic, so I just program all day. However, I do know some students that have had to completely change their theses because of COVID and not being able to access the labs. It's complicated. Oh. Yeah. yeah it's, they've actually had to change their theses. Yeah. Usually it's like the people that had just started like first year or second year. So it's not, I did change my theses a little bit in my second year as well. So it's not that uncommon and that was without COVID, but uh, yeah, some people can't get on campus to run things. And I can't imagine anybody that's doing wet lab research right now. I'm sure that was really strange. They wouldn't have even, there was a period of time where people weren't even allowed on campus at all. I know now though, if you have a research that is, like has to be in the lab, you can get permission to go. And I have been to campus. I've picked up a few things. So being a grad student, they're, I think, a little bit more flexible with having access to your office. But again, I'm not okay. supposed to be going in all the time. Mm. I hope that answered the well, question. I'm glad it didn't. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't change your research completely. Yeah, no, it didn't. It, if anything, it changed it because COVID was a thing and coughs were what I was looking at. And it sort of put a little detour in my thesis but it, in a good way nice yeah well um what else is there anything else Maya that you can conjure up in that mind of yours did you I think go ahead no what were you gonna say I well you said we could pull up some resources for like the uh indigenous community did you have any on you at the moment oh yeah sure did you want to did you want to end with a podcast suggestion we could always end with a podcast suggestion since we're a podcast. Um, one really good one that I've been listening to as kind of like a primer for my thesis is called Two Crees in a Pod. I definitely recommend it. It's very good. They touch on like a whole bunch of different things that happen in Canadian history. And it's very good. Highly recommend. I'm going to take a note of that and start adding it to my playlist. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we should... Say where where can people find Madison? Especially since you said you're super approachable. So like if there are listeners that want to reach out with questions, where can they find you? Well, you can find me definitely through the Y socials. If you ask any of those questions, I'm sure I'll, I will get those questions. I'm also on LinkedIn, but please don't judge me. It's not the most up-to-date up <laughs> item. If you look up <laughs> Madison Cole McFarlane, I'm on LinkedIn. And you can send me a message that way. But yeah, I think the easiest way would just to be sent a message to the CUY's Instagram or something like that, and I can reach out to you after. Yeah, so CUY's does have a link tree with all of their socials and other stuff. So it's at CUY's. That's the link tree. <laughs> if you want to reach out to Mads, just send a message and say, hey, I'm, this is a question for Mads or 
Yes, Something I'm in the process. The of, I'm in the process of making a website, but it's not anywhere near ready. So, oh yeah, that <laughs> wonderful website. Yes, Maya, where can we find you? You can you can find me on Instagram at Maya L Johnson or through the Wise social medias. What about you, Freen? Where can we find you? Instagram or Twitter at Freen Lavi L A V J I. And thank you to the people who did DM me regarding the first podcast. That was really a good boost in morale. Keep sending those in. Or if you have any questions, you can message us. Constructive <laughs> criticism. Yes, please do. We're we're gonna try and get better at this. thank you so much for listening this was really fun we're really glad that we got to talk to madison today our vice chair for wise we cannot wait to have you listen again in two weeks bye yeah we're doing this bi-weekly now yeah we were just too excited for it to be monthly friends your girl forgot to stop recording when she was supposed to stop recording so here's a little something extra to occupy that special time of yours cheers well what is your cat's name actually nox i know x it's from harry potter the spell to turn off the lights that makes sense i think he thinks i'm talking to him no (laughs) my landlady has like two cats and the other day i heard like some kerfuffle happening outside of my door <laughs> I open the door and the fatter cat whose name is Daisy is just standing there and there's like a squirrel that likes to go around her garden <laughs> and she was trying to hunt the squirrel and I just caught her in the act and the squirrel's just standing there completely like oh dumbstruck and the cat's just looking at it and I let the squirrel get away and it's like Daisy what are you doing about that <laughs> Freen your plants look so cool I like that shelf they the look good. It, the collection is growing, actually. Hold on. Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. That's my... I got, like... Hold on. Let me just bring it in. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's cool. That's so cool. I have a plant window, <laughs> but it's going to be hard for me to show you. So I'm just going to... I gonna... have a plant window... I'll show you my. I have baby spider plants that my neighbor gave me. Oh, cute! Ooh, I want spider plants. I have three babies. I'll give you one. Okay, my. I have my baby ivy. Aww. (laughs) And then my baby succulents, which are really not doing well. They're just like teeny tiny. This Mm. is um. Hold up. Can you see the window yet? Yeah. That's my plant window. Ooh. Yeah. We're also gonna show you my pink plants because I really they're my favorite right now. These two are my Ooh. two faves. Oh, oh you I got the polka dot one. one. You oh, have a polka dot. No, I got the polka dot when I was with you. And then this is my air plant. Oh, I love air plants. <laughs> really Except nice. if they get too I much water, they get all gross. 
Me and oh, really? went on a field trip to plant in Curio the other day, and I got an air plant and the polka dot plant. That's very so, cool. Do you remember that DM I sent you of like the the new brick and mortar store that's opening up in Hunt Club? Uh, House of Plants, I think it's called. So she used to like sell on the Facebook Marketplace, and now she's and then she opened up an online store, and now she has a brick and mortar in Hunt Club. And I've fallen in love with alopecias, and I thought and I wanted an alopecia poly, and I DM'd her and said, "You're out of stock. When are you gonna bring more?" And she said, "I don't have." not for a couple of weeks but i have one that i can't sell so you can just have it Aww. so oh she God. gave it to me i'm very good at getting free plants but anyway <laughs> she gave it to me and her store is near hunt club so if you guys want to go we can go sometimes yeah i want to go yeah. i got yeah. the spider plants for my neighbor because i was like i i think that i put on like the buy nothing group like oh does anyone have any like baby plants and she was like yeah you could have my spider plant babies and she gave Ooh. me three Oh. Also, my veggies sprouted, so if anybody wants them, I have some veggies yeah, growing. Oh, I do. That's all awesome. you want. Like arugula, lettuce, and mint and lemon balm. Oh, that's cool. One of my plants is a mint plant. Oh, oh really? Yeah. The one that's a lemon balm? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> the only problem is that I can only have so many like plants that fit on that wind sill because Knox mm-hmm. will go and eat them. Oh yeah. So like yeah. he can't get them because there's nowhere for him to stand there. But yeah, cat problem. My roommate has a cat, but it luckily she doesn't seem to like plants because I was worried at first when she moved in. I was like, oh my gosh, what if the cat eats all my plants? But she hasn't. Yeah, it depends on the plant and the cat. Honestly, my Mox yeah, doesn't go for plants. them as often as my mom's cat does. He eats flower bouquets. <laughs> um, what's the thing? I don't know. I was going to say something. Well, oh, yeah. So if you want to, like, deter your cats from eating your other plants, you can get them cat grass. Yes. I've um, I've done that a few – almost bought, purchased that for him a few times, but I yeah. just haven't done it yet. <laughs> Apparently, that's a thing. It's a it is. It is. I've seen it. Alrighty. Anything else? Are we done? I should be doing a lab right now. <laughs> I feel like I might eat before my cloak lamb. That would be nice. Yeah, we could have ended up. I don't, I'm totally done with that. Mm-hmm. All right, we're done. <laughs>